Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always... Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison is alongside for another packed show. We'll ask what next for England's test side after their humiliating 4-0 series defeat in the Ashes. And we'll hear, of course, from Joe Root on his future, amongst other things. TalkSport 2 will also bring you live and exclusive coverage of England's Tour of the West Indies. And we'll hear exclusively from England captain Owen Morgan, the head of the five T20s, which start on Saturday. As well as that, we'll discuss Virat Kohli stepping down as India's test captain. We'll hear from Heather Knight, ahead of the women's ashes, and ask what it requires to be a test match bowler. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Anybody that listens to the following on podcast will have heard pretty much everything Army has to say. So I'm not sure how to kick this section off, Army. You know, you've had a little bit of time to reflect on it. I don't suppose any of your views have changed. We'll we'll come on to uh, to more specifics. But you know, um, was it? Do you still think it was the worst ever? Yeah, it was the worst ever. I don't I don't think they can hide from that. Even that they got a, a good good draw in battling conditions and battling battling out um, in Sydney. But yeah, four nil, five nil. You lost the Ashes. The Ashes were gone in well, eleven days. From a bowling attack point of view, we can point at a countless number of things. Wood getting rested after bowling 25 overs and then played three three back-to-back test matches in a row, only playing broad in one of the, th- the three first three test matches that were um, that the series was on the line. Batting first, bowling first, team selection, you name it. We've thrown it and yeah, criticised them for it. The back of the preparation was massive in a lot of ways. Ben Stokes, it was huge. Ben Stokes not being able to get any cricket inside of him before going into Brisbane. He was never, even, even the super the superhuman Ben Stokes was never, ever going to be able to perform. England's batters being able to get prepara- get the preparation ready and what they needed in game situation was always going to be a struggle, even though they've got a huge amount of work to do when it comes to the, the mental side of the game, technically, both technically and physically. And when it comes to being able to bat for long periods with the techniques I've got is just not happening. Uh, so I'm looking for things, other other things that I haven't said 
already in this last six weeks that have been so disappointing. I think we need to we look need to look further up the up the ladder. We always blame county cricket when we get beat in the Ashes, and likewise, whenever Ash, whenever the Ashes are won by England, Australia blame Sheffield Shield, Cookerborough Ball not being able to play against the Duke Ball. That will never ever change. We'll we'll keep getting beat in the Ashes, and we'll keep blaming county cricket no matter what. We've had some radical things said over the last 24, 48 hours by a whole host of people. Even Tom Harrison, he's now been in post for seven years. He's completely neglected the Red Bull game. And now he's on his way out, wants to put a shot across the bow to say, oh, no, we need to look after Red Bull game and try and get players into Sheffield Shield. OK, all right. We'll we'll come on to that subject in a moment. I want to ask you about that in a minute. As I just mentioned, we've got an exclusive interview with Owen Morgan. It's really interesting to hear what he says about the prioritisation of Test cricket, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's remind ourselves what Joe Root said about prioritising Test cricket. Whether you look at other things back at, whether it be a, a lower level, there are certain things that definitely need to change. We've got an opportunity to really prioritise Test cricket, make a, off the back of this, make a real significant change to the game and prioritise this team. And let's hope that happens in, in due course. All right, let's go to that point um, that Tom Harrison said. He's he's written to Cricket Australia, suggesting that uh, the Sheffield Shield teams employ English players. Is that a kind of way of saying, hey, no, listen, guys, if you want a decent game from us, start using some of our players in your domestic competition? I think that's baffling. I, honestly, I couldn't stop laughing when he said that. Really? I'm sure Australia are, are, are going to open their doors and, and say, oh, come on, Joe Root, come on, come and have a bat against our players. Like our 18 first-class counties do when when the Ashes comes around and seven of the Australian players turn up for a, a little four-week joint in, in county cricket or Virat Kohli decides that he's going to play for Surrey you know, the month before India come over. That's what's wrong with English cricket, right? We don't own... The England and Wales Cricket Board have now got a chance to reset not anything to do with, yeah, honestly, I know you're laughing at me, because, but we make a lot of money in this country off test match cricket from broadcasting rights, from ticket sales. It's not cheap going to watch these test matches at Lords, 120 quid a pop, you know, 30 odd thousand at Lords, 20,000 at the Oval. We make a lot of money off test match cricket. And where does it go? It goes back into the counties. It goes back into 18 first class counties to basically pay their wages, to keep their clubs going in the county system. But then we get the 18 first-class chairman dictate to the ECB what is actually happening in the game and how the game is structured and the way it goes. So when all the talk about is first-class reset and reset the red ball game, hold on, before you reset the red ball game, reset ECB, big time. That's the biggest thing that needs reset. The ECB need to take ownership of the cricket that's played in this country. They need to dictate to the 18 first-class counties what's happening, when it's happening, and how it's happening. Because at this minute in time, I don't think they do. You know, they've got the 100 through, and whether you blame the 100 or you don't blame the 100, yes, the 100 is played at, at a time where broadcasters dictate to the ECB about what they want. You know, Sky in this country, and I, I've worked for Sky, and you know, they're, they're brilliant for cricket because of the money that they put into the game but they're also to the detriment to the first-class game because they dictate when they want their TV games played in the high summer, which is predominantly 2020 cricket or the 100. That's always going to happen, and that's never going to go away. But ECB have now got 
to be able to say to the counties, right, this is how we are going to structure the game of cricket in this country. Now, somebody, yeah, grow a pair and say, right, the structure of the cricket will be largely dominated, not dominated by Red Bull, but the the Red Bull is going to have a higher priority. It could even be less games. For me, it should be less games, which gives players more time to prepare, but it also gives groundsmen more time to prepare because the fixtures that are played, the groundsmen can't prepare the good enough pitches because they're constantly turnover of wicket after wicket after wicket because there's a red ball game, there's a white ball game, there's a women's game, there's a 50 over game. All these games are on these grounds that don't get a chance for the groundsman to prepare the surface because he, he needs so much time to prepare a surface, but he can't get on it if there's another 2020 game or there's a women's game or there's a, a 50 over game or, and, and there's a, and there's a, a 40 game. So I think somebody needs to take some ownership of how our game's structured uh, and they need to do it very, very quickly. The point is it's, the hundreds not to blame. It's where it is. They've yeah. put a statue in the middle of the town square. Now everybody has to walk around it. One hundred percent, and that's not a pun. That is one hundred percent right. As much as I don't like the hundred, but I just don't like the concept of it because nobody else is going to play this game. India aren't going to play it. Australia's not going to play it. They've got their own franchise system. We've got a. We've created something because we've got we've got eighteen first class counties that we had to create something different to get it through, so we could have. All our best players played against each other to maximise the, the best the best quality of cricket in the shortest format. Don't have a problem with that. I really don't. But it's at a time that's played, it has a detriment effect of when other formats are played. And that is the problem. The hundred's not the issue of... It's not the hundred that's, that's having our poor techniques. It's just the time that it's played and the, the amount of time it takes up in the middle of summer, which just makes our whole season completely disjointed. Okay, two more points on the Ashes before we move on. Um, I'd like you to talk about Mark Wood because he was the only player to have emerged from the tour with any credit and indeed um, probably enhances his reputation. But before we get there, just uh, here's Joe Root uh, to remind ourselves what he said about his own future. Yeah, I'd love the opportunity to keep, to take this team forward and to turn turn things around. You know, at the minute we've we're going through a, a real tough stage as, as a group of players and you know, the performance out haven't been good enough, but I would love the opportunity to try and um, turn things around and you know, for us to, to start putting in performances that you'd expect from, a, from an English test team, um, which we've been lacking of late. No, I, I also believe that I'm the right man to take this team forward uh, in my own eyes. And if that decision is taken out of my hands, then so be it. But I'd love the opportunity to, to carry that forward. And yes, I do have an appetite to to carry on and, and, and to turn things around, but we'll, we'll see how things unfold. Joe Root saying he'd love to carry on as test captain. Um, uh, you know, I, it would be great to think that he will still feel that way in a couple of weeks' time. There's obviously a lot more recrimination to come, all sorts of um, oh, facts and uh, allegations emerging about the dysfunctionality of the tour, you know, players uh, refusing to undergo skinfold tests and Ollie Pope feeling so underprepared that uh, he was thinking about flying his coach from Surrey, Vikram Solanke, out at his own expense to help him. I mean, is Joe Root the right man to carry on? And is it only because there are no serious contenders? I'm afraid there's only no serious contenders, but that's not why Joe should carry on. I actually think Joe's is, is a good captain. I think he's a great ambassador for our game. He is a good leader. And there's been question marks over some things tactically. 
some decision making, but he's not the only one that's involved in this. Tactically, when you got some criticism about Jack Leach's fields, and there's no Jack Leach's bowling, he's he's thirty, he's thirty year old. He should know what fields he wants. He should be able to bowl at fields that he, he's got in in international cricket. Joe Root was let down by a lot of players on this, and it looks like reading between the lines, and there's always a lot of fallout. Joe Root was let down by the system that was put in place to get England in the right place to go and, and give Australia a, a good contest. I find the Ollie Pope one baffling. I really do. I'm sorry, Ollie, but if you're not, if you're if you're underprepared going into an Ashes tour and you want to fly your coach Vikram Solanke out at your own cost, what have you been doing for two months? You last played in you last played in September. What have you been doing? If you feel as though you've not hit enough balls going into it, then I'm sorry. There's too much onus on you know, looking for looking for excuses. Now, if Ollie Pope, I yeah, fantastic. You want to get the best preparation possible, but if you've not hit enough balls before you've got on a plane, I'm sorry. What what's Vikram Solanke going to do for you when you get out there? Yeah, you know, that tells you that how we got. Do they not trust the coaches? Do the players not trust the coaches? But you're, you're always going to get that when things don't go well. There's going to be stories coming out left, right, and centre. A coach coming out and abusing one of the players for not being professional enough. Wow, we're playing for England. I just don't get it. I really don't. And that is, uh, when you look at the shining lights, one was 35, one was 39. I'm looking at Broad and Anderson. Yeah, they're bowled very, very well. Robinson, when he was on the field, bowled very, very well. Mark Wood was, you know, the shining light of the trip. Okay, all right. So, so do you take your Porsche out? As long as it's serviced and it's running well, do you take your Porsche out for every drive from now on? You play, manners. I've said it for, for, for months, years, whatever. You play your best team that you've got out there. All this rest and rotation, fine. Don't have a problem with it if you're looking after people's mountain well-being in the COVID world. But we've done it to get to Australia. We have done all the rest and rotation. Best of playing one test match and going home from India. But a butler doing the same. We've done all this. Mark Wood only playing two test matches, three test matches in the summer, if that. We've done all this preparation to get to Brisbane first test match. The best team should have played in the first test match. The best team then should have played in the second test match. And the best team should have played on beyond. I'm hearing things. We've got a school teacher, scout and school teacher. That's, you know, he's sorting all this rest and rotation out. I heard he picked the team that played the ear team in Australia. We are creating roles for people who shouldn't be anywhere near international cricket or international sport. It is not rocket science. It is simple. You pick your best team. Stuart Broad came out and said, at the end of one of the test matches, he said, England have just got to stop looking too far ahead. Look at your best team and the next team is your best team. And that is the most important thing. You go in. Broad and Anderson have been our best players and we seem to be very, very quickly looking to say, oh, we can't play them both in the same team. We can't play them both in the same team. No, we shouldn't. It's one's 35, one's 39. We've got no longevity and longevity future. The longevity future is to win cricket matches. We've won one cricket match in 14 test matches. If Broad and Anderson are our best options, Broad and Anderson should be playing to give us, give some of these youngsters we drip, drip feeding in a chance to be in a winning environment. Broad played one test match in the first three and the Ashes was gone. Mark Wood, 25 overs and he got rested, then played in the last three. Who was what's you know thinking wise? That's just it's just baffling. It's baffling. I know I haven't really answered the question on Mark Wood because you know, he was he was the shining light. It was the Darren Goff 
that was like what Mark Wood was there. He ran in and he bowled his heart out, 145 plus mile an hour, uh, kilometers an hour. The Australian public warmed to him and loved to him. And again, he didn't play enough in the, when the Ashes was on the line. Chris Silverwood, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a sprint, Chris, because the game was over. The series is over after 11 days. That's a sprint. That's not a marathon. Okay, just to back you up, uh, here's what Jade Dernbach had to say about Broad and Anderson. He was part of our excellent uh, coverage of the Ireland against West Indies series, Ireland's historic win. Here's Jade. I don't think it's one of those arguments where you can just point to one particular thing. I think it's a combination of, of many different things, as it often is when it's a complicated subject, as is the county cricket structure. For me, you can never go into an Ashes tour being undercooked as we did. Yes, weather didn't help. COVID is something nobody's ever had to deal with. We need to factor that in, the impact that's had not only on international sides, on franchise cricket, but equally on county cricket. Our seasons have been disrupted. Players haven't necessarily, I don't know, had the exposure, had the game time that they might have done. County cricket has always been, I guess, our fixture lists are always congested, aren't they? So there is always the argument, do we play too much cricket? Can we possibly produce the best cricketers internationally with the amount of cricket we play? I don't know. I'm not qualified to make that decision. All I know is that, certainly from a bowling perspective, it is difficult to produce bowlers who can bowl 90-plus mile an hour for 14 championship games a year, for 10 T20 games a year, for another 10 100 games, and whatever other franchise cricket you have. Let me put this to you. Um, everyone immediately turns and blames county cricket when the national team are not doing very well. But the national team have to help themselves and pick the 11 best players and put them out on the pitch, don't they? Because some of the selection decisions in this Ashes series... I mean, yes, you can talk about what you do on a derby on a Wednesday afternoon in July or whatever. But if for some reason, when you have Stuart Broad and James Anderson, both... Well, James Anderson, we were told, was unfit for Brisbane for the first test. But when you've got 1,200 international wickets between the pair of them, if one's not available, then surely the other one plays. England opted to go into the first test of a series with neither of them. And as I say, you can blame all the county cricket you like. If, If decisions like that are made, county cricket had nothing to do with that. No, those two guys haven't played a great deal of county cricket for a number of years now because they've been successful on the international st- on the international stage. For me, I couldn't quite wrap my head around that. Our two best bowlers, regardless of age, regardless of losing a bit of pace, say what you like, they're our two most successful bowlers. And as long as they're fit and available, they play, in my opinion. They, every time we seem to judge Stuart Broad or we drop Stuart Broad and we question him, he seems to make a statement, come back, bowl well create that same buzz we've always had around Stuart Broad. Why does it have to take us to drop him or to have to have these conversations to say these things to wonder, can he still do it? We know he can still do it. His record suggests that Jimmy Anderson is in exactly the same boat. As long as he is fit and available, he plays. He's our most accurate, most successful bowler. So for me, it's a case of then how do you build the rest of the team around them? Jack Leach has obviously struggled out in Australia. They've certainly targeted him, but he was only ever going to play a holding role. Now, I think the emergence of Joe Root's bowling in the sense of he looks very threatening, Joe Root. Every time he's had the ball so far in this Astros series, in my opinion, he's looked threatening. So do we actually have to play Jack Leach? Can we afford some more flexibility somewhere else in the order? These are the sorts of questions I'd be asking. Again, yes, we've chopped and changed as well, sorry, at the top of the innings. 
I did see a stat the other day. Our two most successful openers in Zach Crawley and Rory Burns haven't yet opened the batting together. Now, with all the different uh, calculations, all the different players we've put in that position, how have, we never, how have we not come to that stage yet? Yes, I know Rory hasn't had the most successful of tours. He'd be disappointed. Doesn't make him a bad player. You look at his county record, 1,000-run season after 1,000-run season. There can't be anything too wrong with him as a player. I just think we've sometimes try to look too far at the box as opposed to just looking what's in front of us. Pick your best team. That would be my feeling on it in the fact that it, it almost seems that this Ashes have been played on spreadsheet in the fact that they've tried to plot it through. And our, our old mate Steve Harmison um, was on um, the Cricket Collective the other week. I made a really good point. Um, one of, I, th- I think it might have been Chris Silverwood w- was talking at one point saying, well, it's a long series. And Harmison made a point, it's not. It might be five matches, but if you lose the first two... It's then a one-match series because you have to win the next one. So actually, start with the mentality it's a three-match series because four and five don't matter. If you lose the first three, it's all over Red Rover and it doesn't matter what happens in four and five. So actually, you do have to look at it in, in a, a slightly different way, which, which made the decision to go in with what is, appears to be not your best side in the first match because if you lose that first one, then you're behind the eight ballers straight away. Back to against the wall, and as you know, of all places, the last place you want to go to is Australia and have your back against the wall, having the press on your back, having the fans on your back, let alone having to then come from behind the eight ball and have to try and drive on the front foot in a series which you've lost the first two games. To me, it made no sense. I thought we made the job harder than it had to be. It was always going to be tough, but could we find a way to stay in the games long enough to create doubt in the Aussies' minds? We never did that. I think from the get-go, we looked a little bit scared, a little bit gun-shy. We didn't take him head-on, as you have to. Any previous successful Ashes tour is when teams have taken Australia head-on. That was Jay Dernbach uh, echoing exactly what Harmy says about uh, playing your best players. Okay, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And more live and exclusive cricket returns to TalkSport 2 this week as we bring you commentary of England's T20 series against the West Indies, which starts in Barbados this Saturday. Now let's hear from England T20 captain, Owen Morgan, speaking in partnership with Lifeboy, which is promoting Sopa Heroes, an education programme they've created to try and improve hand hygiene of 5 million children in the UK by 2025. And here he is with our very own producer, Scott Taylor. So, Owen, thanks for joining us. You're working with Lifeboy today, a partner of the ECB. Just tell us a bit about the work you're doing with them. Yeah, of course. Um, so, Lifeboy, obviously, one of our principal sponsors who have launched a Soper Heroes programme, which aims to educate 5 million school children by 2025 around hygiene and obviously being an integral part of, of what, uh, I suppose, an environment that we've lived in for the last two years they've obviously contributed a huge amount um, so we're very thankful for them and obviously excited about their, their the launch of their new program yeah you mentioned how it's been a huge part of cricket in the last two years has it been difficult at times because I guess you're so used to when the ball goes in the stands to just get it back and carry on but I guess this new measure you have to use the hand hygiene now yeah you do it's 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 massive I think everybody regardless of, of, of sport or not is is found uh, some 
sort of education in in any sort of hygiene now with with the the, the way the world is working and the rise and rise of, of the virus and, and the change in our lives so everybody's very conscious about having to continuously sanitize and, and just be conscious around their their own hygiene as well i just want to ask you what's it like if you take me into the mind of a player in these covid times we heard andrew balberni a couple of days ago say it's not healthy for the players to sit in their rooms awaiting results not knowing if you're either going to play or you're going to spend two uh, two weeks in isolation so how tough has it been on on you guys mentally more than anything in the last two years yeah it's it's personally me you know, I've, I've played a, a considerable amount of international cricket i've also been in, in some um, difficult situations over the years but i think as a just as an out and out player, it's it's certainly the most difficult time that I've ever experienced, and that's just you know in in life as well. I think the the restrictions that have been imposed and and rightly so to begin with, uh, we didn't know a lot about the virus and and were uneducated in in how it would affect or impact our lives. But certainly, nearly coming up to two years of it impacting us, certainly at home, not even in in the game. It's been unbelievably challenging, and I think certainly as a as a captain, there we have always been of the 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 mind that if guys are finding it difficult or finding it more challenging than ever, that they need to to speak up because what we're going through is is so unique. It's strange. It's different, um, and we need to learn and listen to players if if they're finding it tougher than others and. We're lucky because you know players that have put their hand up and, and said that they're finding it really tough. We have listened to exactly what they've said. We've managed to get them out of the bubble, back to their families, back to an environment that allows them to rest, recharge, get away from the game. Um, and not necessarily get away from the game, but get away from the, the self-contained environment that a bio-bubble challenges you with. Um, we've, we've gone through it a lot. We're lucky that all of the players have been so committed to not only getting sport and cricket back on but the sacrifices that they've given up with maybe not seeing their family for considerable amounts of time more so than than normal has been a, a huge challenge but I think as a game you know Ireland is a good example because they've just come back from America where their ODI series was postponed and we've gone through that having been in South Africa when uh, we had cases um, within the environment that we were in, and it's it's it is good to see decisions are being made based on player welfare and player health, because ultimately that's what matters. I don't think that can ever be compromised. Um, it happened when we were in India during last year's IPL. Again, players' <laughs> health and the health of the public um, was put at the forefront of, of, of thinking. And I think as long as that continues to be the way forward, I think our game will be okay. And just on that point, you've obviously had some time at home now after the T20 World Cup. How, how are you feeling all recharged ahead of a, a busy 2022, no doubt? Yeah, I've had uh, three weeks off now and we, we leave for Barbados on, on Saturday for five games in a short space of time. After that trip, There'll be um, a couple of months which I'll be taking off as well to recharge even even more to you know get the run into what's going to be an unbelievably busy six months ahead with the World Cup right at the back end. So managing your way through 
that period and you know we've had a hectic summer um, and then on the back end of that we go to Pakistan for um, T20s as well and then on to Australia so there's, there's a lot of cricket so this this time for for me and other players is, is very important how you manage it and, and because the if you look after yourself now you'll you'll gain the reward down the line yeah you mentioned the the West Indies series coming up at the end of the month See no none of the Ashes boys in the squad, but how excited are you with the with the group you've got? A mixture of experience in yourself, Jason Roy, Adil Rashid, and youngsters as well, George Garton, Phil Salt, to name a couple. Yeah, uh, it's it's unbelievably exciting. As a white ball group, we've gone on tours and <clears throat> played in series at home where um, we haven't had our full strength side available. That's that's been a constant theme for for a number of years now. Uh, obviously, test matches take priority and always do. So going through the exercise of, of giving younger guys opportunity is a really exciting time for us because when we've tried it in the past um, and given the, the unbelievable skill level that guys have coming through county cricket into the 100, playing in franchise tournaments around the world, they're now coming into our team ready to play international cricket. So I'm excited about I'm excited about seeing some of the, the new players who have come into the squad potentially get opportunities over the course of the five games and hopefully winning a series as well. Yeah, you mentioned test cricket there. And obviously we're speaking before that fifth Ashes test in Hobart. England have obviously lost the Ashes. But as a white ball captain, how does it feel when people say, oh, it's because the hundreds played in the middle of the summer? Do you, do you feel that white ball cricket is, is tarnished a bit with the, is, is the easy option just to, to blame white ball cricket for the fact that the team hasn't? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think people that use that as an excuse don't watch cricket. Yeah, Test match cricket has always been the priority. Uh, it is, it's a format for our elite players. Um, it's obviously times at the moment have been tough down in, in Australia during the Ashes. They always are. We've lost the last two series 5-0. Um, it's no surprise that Australia are very, very good at home. And given the prep the guys have had where it, since they've arrived in Australia until the first test match, it has hammered down with rain. So Australia complain about rain when they come here. Our summers are beautiful. There's something wrong with their summers. So, I mean, it's, it's laughable to point the finger at the 100. The 100 is an unbelievable success. Our formats in county cricket and the 100 in the way they're structured are exactly the same as Australia's. People need something to blame. So they, they'll, they'll point at probably the furthest point of reality um, because nobody wants to say, you know what, we've not had the prep that we liked. We, we probably haven't played as well as we've liked and we've lost. Mm. And that happens in all formats. But I, I stress test match cricket has, has always been the priority. I just want to talk to you about legacy if I may, Owen, it might be a bit weird being a current player and talking about legacy, but how proud are you to see you turn on the big bash now, most games as an Englishman playing in, in for one of the teams. So would that would your legacy in white ball cricket be the rapid rise of English players playing in all these franchise tournaments? And sort of how proud are you as a white ball captain to, to see all this happening? Oh, I'm unbelievably proud, and particularly when we, we have young guys who... who are predominantly county cricketers are playing in two or three franchise tournaments during our winter season, making mistakes, learning more, experiencing more. And even to the extent now where they're massively sought after because they're match winners. So guys like Ben Duckett, Joe Clark have gone down to Australia, 
played really, really well, put on a show and haven't necessarily had the international exposure that they might have done in a different generation of, of English cricket. But I'm incredibly proud, not only of that, but the, the level of expectation that this current team of players and group of players has lifted the level of expectation around going into world tournaments and then winning. For the majority of my career, um, white ball cricket was an afterthought. And 95% of the time was spent around planning and prep for test match cricket. And then when we got to a World Cup, it was like, well, if we do well, great. If we don't, it's, it's fine. But I think the, the skill level that guys are producing now on a consistent basis you know, and, and proven over long periods of time, um, rightly so, we're, we're considered one of the best in the world. And trust me, I'd, I'd much rather be considered that than an afterthought. So all the credit has to go to, to the group of players at the moment. They've, they have built what I think is something special as a group and, and hopefully it, it builds further towards the future as well. Yeah, let's talk about the future then finally. I appreciate your time. You've got plenty of ICC events coming up. I think one every year coming up in the near future. So there's a lot of people that say, well, you've won the T20 World Cup. You've won the 50 over World Cup. What's keeps that drive going in Owen Morgan to, to, to go and achieve more? Yeah, here it's a, a, a drive to, to want to leave the, the team in a, in, a, in a far better place with the ambition of them continuing to get better down the line. I've really enjoyed playing with this group. I've loved captaining, captaining. And at this particular time in my career, uh, I couldn't be having a better time. Um, you know, turning up to a World Cup as either favourites or joint favourites or, you know, real strong contenders is something that excites me because the drive to want to fulfil that level of expectation is something that we haven't, well, I haven't had a lot in my career, but over the last six years, it has been a constant. And it's something that I always think about because it, it, it makes me think about what can we change to get better or how how can we become more consistent as a side? So until that stops, yeah, I think um, I think things are good. That was England captain Owen Morgan speaking in partnership with Lifebuoy, which is promoting Sopa Heroes, an education programme they've created to try and improve hand hygiene of 5 million children in the UK by 2025. Interesting chat from uh, Owen Morgan. He's one of the people I respect most in international cricket. Um, I haven't got a bad word to say about him, um, except that he may have misread the room, Harmy. Just a little bit. I'm the same as you, Manners. I think that guy is so impressive, Owen Morgan. I really do. But I was listening to some of that stuff and I was, I was, I was thinking, has he been the same function as Tom Harrison? Because when he said test matches were prioritised, I'm not sure there were especially when you listen to the first first part of our show when Joe Root was asking for the ECB to prioritise test cricket. We've got now now in the space of 15 minutes, man, as we've listened to 20 minutes, we've listened to both our England captains completely contradicting each other and then a chief executive who I think it's time for him to go anyway, so let's not go there. And I think from Morgan's point of view, he's trying to sort of say that test matches were prioritised. The bit that I, I struggled with was also the Australian bit saying our domestic cricket is like Australia's domestic cricket. It's like, well, it's not, it's nowhere near. And I might, I might have missed it. I might have picked it up wrong, but 
when you look at, especially the year before COVID, Australia only played 10 first-class matches. Their one-day competition was 22 games, 22 matches deep. And the Big Bash, they've got 14 group games each. That's the only three formats they play in Australia. Our T20 Blast got 133 cricket matches. You know, we, we play 14 first-class matches. We've got eight group games in our 50-over competition. This is before COVID. And then we've added a 61-match 100 competition. So our domestic competition is completely different to Australia's. And I think that is our problem. So when, when Owen Morgan's saying things like that, as much as I've got loads and loads of respect for him, I struggled with that interview. I really did. Um, and, and going forward, it never changed my opinion of him because I think he's a brilliant, I think he's a brilliant bloke and I think he's a brilliant leader. But when you said misled, misread the room, yeah, he's trying to, I think, possibly trying to sort of show a front of ECB. But again, somebody from the ECB got it completely wrong, in my opinion. And a reminder, you can hear live and exclusive commentary of England's upcoming T20 series against the West Indies right here on TalkSport 2. It all gets underway this Saturday evening. But next up, we'll discuss some of the other big cricket stories. Virat Kohli stepping down as India Test Captain. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Of cricket. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, as always, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Virat Kohli um, has done almost eight years as captain in all three formats uh, for India. He recently, just before the tour to South Africa, had his wings clipped by BCCI President Saurav Ganguly, who rather clumsily removed him from uh, the T20 captaincy and the ODI captaincy. But um, we thought that he'd carry on for a few more years in uh, the format that he very proudly um, admits uh, he loves the most. 
he was obsessed with winning in South Africa, absolutely obsessed. India should have won four years ago. South Africa prepared three gamble result pitches and India, oh, just, I mean, it was it was a toss up at various points. If it wasn't for Vernon Philander, I think um, India would have won that series. And I think it's been uh, obsessing with him for a couple of years. And uh, well, on what should have been the fifth day of the final test at Newlands in Cape Town, he announced that he was stepping away from the test captaincy as well. There's no question about his pedigree as a player, extraordinary cricketer, 27 test hundreds, uh, one of the greats of all time as a cricketer. Divides opinion a little bit, or did, as captain. It was hard not to admire his passion for the game. And the other thing, Harmi, is, you know, I think the whole of the test playing world benefited from his support of the test game. Um, uh, I do hope that we don't now pay the price for him walking away. Yeah, and that's my only worry, like you've mentioned before, he is one of the greats of, of all time. He divides opinion, but I enjoy that opinion divide because he plays close to the line, sometimes crosses it and gets his wrist slapped, and he, he deserves it most of the time. Um, but his passion for the game is unbelievable. And are we beginning? Are we seeing the beginning of the end for Test match cricket? Because I always said, why we've got Virat Kohli as a leader of the Indian cricket team, Test match cricket will be at the forefront of world cricket because they are the powerhouse. They have got all the financial resources. They do largely dictate to what happens in the in the game, whether you know when and where people tour because of obviously the IPL of how powerful that is. But he is, I think he's been a great, he's a great ambassador for the game. I really do. Even some of the things when he does step over the line, I still think the game is better for having Verrett Coley like that than, than not like that. But it's been interesting to watch. He's had a few meltdown moments. I thought it was hilarious talking to the Stomps. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was great. Oh, it was like he's gone over. It's like, right. It was a bit like what well, Nas Nas used to do that quite a bit. He's like, right, I've had enough of talking to you bowlers. You're not listening. I'm going to talk to the stumps now. But obviously, there was a serious point with that. He felt as though his side wasn't getting the rubber, the green of, or the, the broadcasters were dictating to 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 watching what was happening. What was your take on on that manners as well as that? How good was South Africa's two-one victory and all the noise before? The uh, the series started with Graham Smith and, and Mark Boucher, two good friends of mine. Is this bringing South African cricket back together by beating one of the biggest powerhouses in world cricket in India? Well, you've played here, um, so you'll be aware that uh, Supersport, the host broadcaster, um, have never been criticised for their impartiality, have they? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> they... they they, they, uh, but, but the, but the point is that um, Virat Kohli. Uh, two points actually. I, I come, I've got a couple of great, great friends who are cameramen, um, and they say, is it not part of our job to look for possible ball tampering? And and I may also say that I am absolutely intimately aware of several occasions where the match referee has gone to the host broadcaster and said, could you please ask some of your cameras to look out for this and this because we suspect that there's something going on. The second thing is that um, it's, it's naive and, and really a result of passion as a, rather than a lack of knowledge for Virat Kohli to imply that Supersport was somehow messing with Hawkeye because, as you know very, very well, and so do I, 
Hawkeye is a 100% independent company. They bring their own equipment, their own personnel, their own staff, their own expertise. They train their own people. They are completely neutral and, and independent. And what set the Indians off was when Ravi Chandra and Ashwin trapped uh, Dean Elgar LBW. The South African captain thought he was out. We all thought he was out. But you know that there's this joke in international cricket now, isn't there, where since the number of reviews has gone from two to three, uh, the captain has uh, exercised their prerogative and keep one res um, review just for themselves. And so Dean Elgar decided to, to use it and the ball was seen to be going over the top of the stumps. You know, the interesting thing is that in the 40 minutes after that, in the seven overs that were bowled after that, India conceded 41 runs in a low scoring mm. game. And that cost the test match. So this over boiling of emotion cost India the test match. That's where they lost it on the third evening, not on the fourth day. As you say, he, um, he divides opinion, but I love him. I love him for it. You know, I, I remember as a kid uh, thinking that uh, John McEnroe was a disgrace to tennis, but I, I learned to, to love his tantrums once I appreciated as a grown-up that they came from a love of the game, not a disrespect mm. for it. Um, and Virat Kohli desperately, desperately wanted to win. And for a man who was so, so wealthy, uh, he's the only cricketer on the Forbes rich list for sports people. Um, you know, he the things he has to put up with that, um, that LeBron James don't, uh, I, I just admire him. And, and for him to be so passionate, Passionate enough to, to lose his rag. I know that's contradiction in terms, but I, I love him for it. He loves test cricket. He does, and that's that what that's what worries me about the next cab off the rank. And who is it gonna be? Is it gonna be Robert Sharma that gets the whole shooting match? I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think Sarav wants to Sarav Ganguly wants to put the captain in that position again. I think to be captain of all formats for India, you have to be a special person. And that special person was Virat Kohli. I'm not sure that Sarav Ganguly would probably want um, Rohit Sharma to have that level of responsibility. Was it Keel Raoul, the next one that feels as though he should should feel that he should be the, the one that takes this Indian team forward? I think there's a lot of Indian fans out there who can't believe that uh, Pajara and Rahani are still in the side, and they probably won't be after this series. But they were the natural leaders after. I mean, you look at Rahani, how well he did in Australia. Virat Kohli stepping down. Is it enough to keep Rahani in the side just to give him the captains to lead the side? But for me, I think I'd go down the route of Kiel Raul. And just finally, um, I think Keegan, Pe uh, Keegan Peterson might be the real deal. South Africa's new KP. Three half centuries in his last uh, four test innings. Man of the series. I think South Africa have found uh, a number three. Um, he's only played five test matches, so it'll be a little while. But, uh, it, you know, it is really exciting uh, to think that uh, South Africa might, might compete in England uh, in the summer because uh, they, were, they were heavily beaten uh, the last time they were there four years ago. So that's, uh, that's very exciting. Just very quickly, on the subject of fast bowlers, I'm going to rile you up as we move into, the, into part four, Harmy. Um, because our listeners may not have heard what John Lewis had to say about Ollie Robinson that you referred to in part one. It, this was it. It's definitely a work on. Um, it's something that he needs to improve. He's, um, he's got a record of playing a lot of games of county cricket, but playing international cricket is of a, a higher intensity um, and you play it all year round. So he's got to get used to understanding 
what it takes to be a full-time year-round international cricketer. You know, I'm playing extra extra day as well, I'm playing five days test, test cricket. And, and also with these series that we play now, um, when the times are in, everything's really squashed together. So there's, there's not a, a great deal of rest um, and recuperation between games. So, you know, that's something he's going to have to deal with. Is it a concern? It, it's one of, his, one of his things that he really needs to work on. Um, he's shown that over the course of the English summer and this series so far that he can put back-to-back games together. But yeah, there's definitely areas that um, he needs to work on for sure. That's John Lewis on on Ollie Robinson, and Harmy's going to put himself in Ollie Robinson's shoes and reply. It's if it's justified, then fine. And you hear rumours about Ollie Robinson's lifestyle coming out of first class cricket and not taking life as, as serious. I'm not going to throw us you know aspersions towards Ollie Robinson just yet. I think this kid's got a bright future in the game if he wants it. I was in that situation. I just got man of the match in Dhaka, 2003. And the, 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 the article in the paper was about me because I And the article about me in the paper was horrific. I'm like, well, I've just got man of the match. And I'm getting told by somebody that I'd been, was in the team. It was Marcus Justkothic. I talked to Derek Pringle about my commitment to whether I wanted to play, fitness, lifestyle, everything that went about it. And it hurt me a lot, but it was all realisation of a man looking in the mirror, which I did, was he's got a point, to be honest. My lifestyle wasn't great. You know, if it was battered, I'd edit. And if it had a head on, I drank it. It was literally, it was like that. I was very, very simple Northern person who probably didn't grasp the fact that you had to work a lot harder to be an international sportsman. And if it wasn't for Sir Bobby Robson and Newcastle United in eight weeks, getting me to a point where I got to the West Indies in 2004, my life changed, my outcome changed. And so Bobby was brilliant. You know, he would walk me into the gym in the early times I was going in there and he would point to the likes of Alan Shearer, Gary Speed, Shea Given, played hundreds of times for their countries and follow what they do. The reason why they're, and that's what you kept on saying to me, the reason why they're international sportsmen, son, watch them, watch them eat, watch them drink, watch them train, watch them in the gym, just watch their body language, watch their manner. And I felt for eight weeks I was watching, I was watching them closely. And I came out a different person and I felt my career went on, you know, went, went forward that way. And maybe this is Ollie Robinson's moment where somebody very close to him, John Lewis, he's probably one of the only ones in that setup could see it publicly because of how closely he works and he knows with Ollie Robinson. But it's got to hurt the boy. And there's two ways to go here. He goes back into first-class cricket. We never see him again because he's enjoying, you know, he's enjoying his food and he's liking his drink or he turns up and he gets fit. And if he gets fit, this kid's got a bright future because the areas he bowls and the skill sets he's got, even at, even the pace he's at, he's a challenge for top, top batsmen around the world on any given surface. So it's a stick or twist time for Ollie Robinson. It's a good start to his career, but if he wants to carry on, he's got people questioning his fitness and his professionalism. That's not something good to be questioning. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll discuss uh, a huge signing for Hampshire and lots of other stuff and news from around the world. And as I just said at the end of uh, part three, Ben Brown has signed for Hampshire, continuing uh, Sussex's new policy of no over-25s in the squad, Harmy. Yeah, it's a good signing for Hampshire. Yeah, he did well last year for for Sussex, but it just seems that they're going down the route of yeah, academy cricketers, probably saving a few quid for 
the white ball element of the game because I think Rashid Khan's still there and Mohamed Rizwan's gone there. So they've got a few quid to spend on the overseas. We've just decided that anybody over 25 has, uh, has got to move elsewhere from the, uh, from the southeast coast. So good move for Hampshire. All right, let's move on to Yorkshire, where you are currently um, uh, freelancing as a consultant or consulting as a freelancer. Lord Patel, Yorkshire County Cricket Club chair, said uh, that they were uh, hopeful or optimistic that uh, they would be able to stage international cricket this summer. You know, when I said to you, I'm physically exhausted, I'm physically exhausted because all of us are working 24-7 to ensure Test cricket comes back here. That's my single purpose at this moment in time, about uh, as well as the future. We've been set a very strict criteria by the ECB, and we've been challenged, rightly so. You know, we brought the game into disrepute, and they're the governing body, they've got to hold us to account. The Equality Human Rights Commission need to hold us to account. DCMS needs to hold us to account. I believe, in my heart of hearts, that we will deliver everything they've asked us to do, and more, by the end of this month will show progress and all that. And I hope that that's enough for people to make a decision to say, you know, international matches need to come back here. If international cricket doesn't come back here this year, I think we have two major catastrophes. One is hundreds and thousands of fans, boys and girls, Yorkshire people will suffer tremendously because they'll miss out. And I think, secondly, there'll be a, a major financial crisis. Yeah, it's important, I think, they get they get to keep international cricket. Uh, I was critical of the ECB when they did the punishment at Durham. still think Yorkshire need punishing, uh, but I think there's other ways of doing that, um, making sure that you know, the, the finals days, the 50-over finals days, things like that, even potentially taking the Northern Superchargers from, from Headingley to Durham because Marcus North running running the, the Northern Superchargers. But I think international cricket at Headingley needs to stay because they need to keep a, a revenue stream that is going to be able to get out into the community to get the trust back into the Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Durham got their international status taken off them because I think largely down to ECB wanted to get nine test venues into eight for the 100, what they're seeing with their crystal ball two or three or two years down the line. Um, there was method in a lot of their punishment from Durham's point of view. But I think where where the punishment it is with Yorkshire, I do believe they still need punishing, but international cricket and the revenue that it makes for the county of Yorkshire will help Yorkshire rehabilitate the county, the, the structure of the of the area, um, and also you know, bring the, the trust back from the community into Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Having been in there for the last two, three weeks, all I know is, and all I'm going to say from that point of view is the players are working tirelessly hard. Message to the members, you know, these guys are working hard, even though they haven't got a coach. Darren Goff is frantically working to try and put things in place. I don't know Lord Patel. I've never met the guy, um, but he seems to, make him, to be making the right noises of wanting Yorkshire County Cricket Club to get better. It's going to take time. It's going to take a hell of a lot of trust and hopefully everybody can work together, move them forward to make Yorkshire better because what happened with Azim Rafiq was it should never have happened to a human being. But if there's any goodness that's going to come out of this, we have to move forward from a, from a, from a cricket society point of view. Um, and it, it's important that we, we learn 
a huge amount of what happened to Azim and in, 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 in the culture that was there. And we make it better. The, the club makes it better. Cricket makes it better. And that is something that I think Yorkshire are trying to do. So, you know, fingers crossed it does help. They're going to have backward steps, but largely if they're moving forward, there's going to need a trust in the area. And I think the trust in the area is going to be paid for largely down to international cricket being played at Headingley. Good must always come from bad, Harmy. We uh, we need to make sure that that happens. Uh, let's move on to the women's ashes, as I have uh, already mentioned. Um, we, we've we've done a couple of interviews and uh, and and features on the women's ashes. Um, uh, hopefully, the, the, there is good reason to be positive and and to to hope for. Um, yeah, some some a panacea to make up for <laughs> for the men's ashes. It is fair to say, um, as Kate Cross told us uh, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, you know Australia do start as as favourites, but it's a very very promising and and hopeful England England squad. Uh, this is what Heather Knight said just a couple of days ago um, about the preparations ahead of that uh, the the multi format women's ashes. It's not been ideal. The lead up for a number of reasons has, has been pretty average to be honest obviously it's all out of our control so for those two weeks before we left England we could only train as individuals and with our household so we've got mums feeding bowling machines boyfriends slinging girlfriends slinging uh, dads batting and any family members or households supporting our training so uh, it's, as you can imagine it's been pretty comical but also not ideal preparation for for a series of this magnitude, but it's been completely unavoidable for us to do that just to get everyone on the plane out here has been been tough. Um, and obviously, yeah, we, we found out that with that quarantine in New Zealand, that our preparation is going to be a little bit shorter. So sort of getting our heads around that and, and trying to find ways to, to get our, ourselves ready physically, mentally has, has been a little bit harder. And then obviously you throw COVID in there and shifting goalposts from the World Cup a little bit as well. As you can imagine, it's been quite hard to focus on the cricket at the moment it didn't help that the first training session it um it rained cats and dogs so that was um yeah a little bit amusing but look we haven't had the best preparation but what we've got to do is is try and make the the most of it we're absolutely going to do that it's, it's out of our control what has happened in in the build-up and for us as players we've just got ourselves got to get ourselves ready as mentally as we can and, and just find a way to bring the team together almost obviously um more metaphorically than literally with with COVID bringing people together but um yeah I'm, I'm confident that we'll make the most of, of what's been a bad situation. Yeah that was uh, um Heather Knight Harmy safe living or, or live safe is a phrase that I, I'd never heard before basically it meant that um that everyone had to stay at home and not go out for two weeks before they left for Australia is that right? It seems to be that we're where we we haven't had any practice of that over the last two years have we so you know, the girls hopefully have have done the right things, getting the right preparation. Not like Ollie Pope wanting Vic Ramsalanki to come in right at the very last, you know, the, the last second. I'm sure, you know, the, the women's team have, have mucked in together and made sure that they are in the best shape and best way possible to go into not only the Ashes, but the ICC event straight after the Ashes in New Zealand. And that's the reason why we've come forward I think a week or 10 days because of obviously the 10 day quarantine period they're going to have to have when they get to New Zealand. So fingers crossed the girls can do a lot better than the men and fingers crossed that they get enough points 
on the board to 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 bring home to bring home the the women's version of the Ashes because you know we do need a little bit of hope and cheer from England versus Australia. Fingers crossed the women can do that. Now Ireland beating the West Indies in their ODI series that was uh, that was that that was World Cup qualification that series and uh, Kieran Pollard sounded absolutely devastated when uh, he spoke afterwards he was really really despondent um but uh, for for every well for every sporting tragedy there is uh, elation and what fantastic performance from Ireland covid ravaged um the second game had to be postponed you know and it, we're not talking about uh, some some hardy old 35 36 year old pros in that Ireland team they've got half a dozen players 25 or so um, producing really, really top performances. 100% right, Manners. You know, the, the togetherness that Ireland team showed and looked, just from the TV pictures, it looked as though they were a group that, no matter what you've got in front of you, we'll, we'll, we'll stand up to you and we'll, we all, we'll come back with enough punches and hopefully get ourselves in a position to earn the right to win the game. And that's what Ireland did in the in the games that, that was played uh, against the West Indies and... West Indies now are going to be fearful of their their qualification for that for that World Cup, um, and they're going to have to beat some big big top nations. And you know, England going against the West Indies in the next two weeks. Ireland, uh, West Indies are going to have to book their ideas up if they stand they want to stand any chance of competing in the white ball format against um, against England. But take nothing away from how poorly the West Indies played. Kieran Pollard was was yes, rightly disappointed. Sometimes adversity with the COVID and everything that was go with it can galvanise the squad and bring them together, and that's certainly what Ireland did. And yeah, you know, good luck to them and well done to them because yeah, they're not far away from you know just a, a hop across the Irish Sea. And sometimes there are rivalries in sport when your nations are close to each other, but I think there's a good crossover between England, Ireland, and Scotland that we uh, we want the, the the Irish and the Scottish and yeah to do well, and they, they certainly did that in the Caribbean. And just very quickly, you were talking off air about uh, Ireland and Scotland perhaps playing in the championship, um, unless it's scrapped, of course. Uh, those who are calling for it to be uh, abandoned, abolished, and uh, start something else new completely. I mean, they do have um, their own domestic first-class uh, competitions, but uh, they're obviously very limited. Uh, so if there were three divisions... Or, or an elite division and a larger second division, there could still be a place um, for Ireland. Remember, they used to play in the in the, the Benson and Hedges, didn't they? And um, might even have been the Gillette. Uh, I'm going back that far. Uh, but um, do, do you think that uh, that England, the ECB, should be extending an arm of friendship to 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 help Ireland and Scotland? Well, you look at it; it's the England and Wales cricket board and. That's probably large down to the Welsh government paying a lot of money for test matches. Um, but I'm going into politics here, aren't I? So I can't understand why Scotland and Ireland can't be in that as well when you when you look at in the grand scheme of things. I've said for many years now, even when I was playing, that if you wanted to reduce the cricket in this country from like a format point of view and first-class format point of view, if you had three extra teams, i.e. Ireland, Scotland and one other, you had three divisions of seven which gives you playing each other twice, six, that's 12 first-class matches. I think 12 first-class matches is an ideal number from a summer point of view. And the best will get to the top. 
the top, you know, the, the teams in the top will get through there, and the rest will, you know, will will work their way through and and come through that. But I think that would give Ireland a good structure going back. They can still have their, you know, their their club structure as well as Scotland. Um, but I remember playing. That was that was the thing in the benches and hedges. It was at the start of the season. Who have we got? Have we got a trip to Edinburgh? We've got a trip to Dublin. We've got a trip to Amsterdam. And there was once, <laughs> there was once we got a trip to Amsterdam. And I remember sitting in a sports centre reception area with these great big jugs of beer. Me, David Boone, Norman Gifford, and Simon Brown. After we had we had just been bowled out for 199, and no, and I think it was 199, and and Holland chased it down to beat us, and we were a shambles. And it was David Boone's last year, fast year of first class cricket. Felt so sorry for him. And then we came back from that. We came back from that game. And we never lost another game across any of the formats, and we finished in the top division. Um, and it, that was a trip to Holland. It was a good trip, but yeah, they, they were in the they were in the, the mix as well. So yeah, look, we're just throwing a few things around there, potentially trying to make our game better by reducing the amount of first class crickets played, so we get more quality time playing it. Groundsmen get more quality time to prepare the pitches, and better surfaces become better cricketers. And it becomes better quality. And if we get that, then the test team will undoubtedly become better. Final word this week goes to New Zealand great Ross Taylor. You remember the Black Caps were beaten in a shock uh, by Bangladesh in the first of two test matches. But uh, the home team bounced back in emphatic style by spanking their uh, visitors um, even more emphatically in the second test match in Christchurch. And the game finished with uh, Ross Taylor, who is the friendliest bowler ever to deliver, even friendlier than Alistair Cook, I would say. He bowled um, the ball which took the final wicket, uh, and this is what he had to say afterwards. I sort of don't uh, believe in, you know, fairy tales, but that was a thanks for the bad light with the Canterbury crowd that sort of made me um, have to bowl, I guess. I don't know if Tom actually wanted to bowl me, I just sort of took my... Head off, and um, I think Tim Southey was actually going to bowl spin at the other end. So that would have been an uh, interesting moment if I didn't get the wicket. But uh, to say, has it sunk in yet um, that I got the wicket? No. Grand old Ross Taylor bowing out on his own terms, and good for him. Thanks, Harmy. You're off to Barbados. Can't wait. Looking forward to the sunshine. Fingers crossed the PCR test comes through and everything goes all right. Me and Mark Butcher get on the plane. Well, it'll be tomorrow morning. At 10.30, and we'll bring you all the coverage live on TalkSport 2, the five T20 internationals, England versus the West Indies. It's going to be a great series. Enjoy the trip, mate. I'm a little envious. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, as always, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back on Thursday for a special show looking ahead to the five-match T20 series between England and the West Indies, exclusively live on TalkSport 2, as Harmy said. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Hold that, please. Level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. 
Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.